Glorious verses 15, 16, and 17. Vocation, permission, and then prohibition. You can eat of everything. And I encourage you, don't be the type of a Christian that's always like, oh, can't do that, can't do that. Listen, let's talk about what we can do. Because the list of can do's are way greater than the list of can't do's. And that's awesome. We're so free in Christ. What did Jesus say? Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. People in the world think that freedom is the ability to do whatever they want, but that isn't freedom. It's anarchy. They don't think that if everyone is free to do what they want, that includes the really bad people too. Robberies of all sorts happen as well as violent crimes. Pastor Daniel's teaching will touch on the simple rules that God gave Adam and Eve and why he gave the rules that he did. We live in the aftermath of their decisions. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 2 as he continues his message, Gospel Prelude. So we could do this for hours. I kind of spent a lot of time on this in my notes, and I just realized when I got to the end of exhaustive study, as I felt it was, for this time around me studying this, and I realized, of course, that when we get to Genesis chapter 6 to 8, we have a universal flood. And when you have four rivers and you're trying to place where this thing is and you get a universal flood, guess what that does? That ruins any chance you have of placing this thing on the map. Because that flood had universal consequences. Radically affected the geological structure. So things that were there before the flood and where they said after the flood... I'm stuck. So I was really hoping to come to you guys and say, all right, I'm going to tell you right where the Garden of Eden was. And that would have been really cool. But I can't do that. So you guys forgive me? Great. Thank you. I'm trusting in your graciousness. But we have this land now. God has created man. He's breathed life into him. And he's placed him in a garden. And now is really we really get into where the plot starts to get set up for us. Look at verse 15. It says this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. These three verses. Very important. In verse 15, you get vocation. God took Adam and he placed him in the garden to tend and to keep the garden. What this means is that even before the fall of mankind, God has vocation for humanity. There is work to do. And work, especially as it relates to you guys, the reality is, is that when God cursed Adam, he cursed the work that he was going to do. That's why a lot of you wives, you're like, my husband's a workaholic, right? He's just living out the curse on Adam. Not that work is bad, but the way a man's heart relates to his work, that's the problem. 
Because right here in verse 15, vocation is part of God's plan for humanity. Work is part of God's plan. God did not create humanity to sit on a lazy boy, have a remote control stuck to his hand, and not do anything. That demeans humanity. So right in verse 15, we get the idea of vocation. Now in verse 16, we get the idea of permission or freedom. Look what it says. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now when most people think about God, they don't think about God's permission that he has given us. Most often they think about what? The restrictions, right? Now, of course, we get the prohibition in verse 17. But don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because in the day you eat of it, what? You will surely die. Think about this. When you're sharing your faith with someone, you say, man, you should believe in God. Like, I don't want to believe in God. God doesn't let us do anything. Wrong. God's permission and God's freedom is way more vast than God's prohibitions and restrictions. I love this. You could eat of any tree you want. He's like, Adam, it's buffet time. Yeah. You know, every time we get to food, I get excited, right? You can eat anything you want. The whole thing is there for you to eat, except for one tree. But it's amazing that we live in a day and age where we all end up focusing on the prohibition or the restrictions rather than focusing on the freedom when the freedom is way more grand, way more glorious, way more vast than the one prohibition. I was just talking to someone recently, like, I don't understand how you can be a Christian. I mean, Christianity is so sexually restrictive. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, Christianity is the most sexually permissive of religions because I get to spend all my time with one woman and I get to have the freedom to enjoy all that she is for me in Christ and the restriction keeps me from hurting myself and everybody else. Amen. You can clap. It's good that we clap. Because listen, God's freedom is so much greater than his prohibition and God's prohibition. Listen, he said, look, if you eat of that tree, what's going to happen? You're going to die. And you know what? God giving us the freedom to die is not loving. See, we live in a day and age where people say, look, I don't want to be restricted. I mean, who are you as Christians or who is God to tell me what I can and can't do? And you guys have heard me use this example. I love my kids. Obadiah, he's almost seven. Maranatha, she's almost four. They're so cute. I love them. Now, if my house, my backyard, right up to I-5, if I tell my kids, listen, go play in the backyard. Have a blast. You're free. And if I don't put a fence around that backyard, they have freedom, but they ain't free. Because if they run out into I-5, I'm going to be a sad guy. But if I put a fence around my backyard, I can say, you guys go have a blast. You're free. Even though there's a fence, they are truly free. Because them and the dog can have a blast. They can trash the backyard. But no one's going to get killed. See, the absence of total freedom is not freedom. It's anarchy. 
And anarchy is not free. Talk to people who were around L.A. when the L.A. riots happened. Anarchy ensued. In a sense, pure freedom. But guess what? People were hauled up in their homes with shotguns or wishing they had them. That's not free. A state of anarchy isn't freedom. Freedom is the ability to live out your life in the way that God intended it with restrictions that keep us from harming ourselves. So this is glorious, verses 15, 16, and 17. Vocation, permission, and then prohibition. You can eat of everything. And I encourage you, don't be the type of a Christian that's always like, oh, can't do that, can't do that. Listen, let's talk about what we can do. Because the list of can-dos are way greater than the list of can't-dos. And that's awesome. We're so free in Christ. What did Jesus say? Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. We have great freedom in Christ. And God's restrictions are only meant to enhance our freedom in him. By keeping us from destruction. From destructive things. But it's interesting. God in his relationship with man, does set the rules. Now, this is the big rub for Americans and Westerners, right? We just think we deserve to set all the rules, right? It's like, who are you to tell me I can't do whatever seems right to me? We have to realize that as Americans, and I'm very proud that I was born in this country, people can worship whatever they want in this country for the most part. That's kind of an amazing thing. We get to have a building like this. We get to have the message going out on the airwaves because we live in a free country. And that's an awesome thing. But only in America do we have the cultural goggles that says, I should be able to do whatever I want. You go to other countries, that's what I call the mistake of not identifying your own cultural goggles. Only in the West do we think, I should be able to do whatever I want. It's really one of the curses of affluence and blessing. To think, hey, I should be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want it, and don't say boo to me. But God sets the rules. God sets the rules. We don't get to set our own rules. I know it's a tough pill culturally to swallow, but that is a truism that you find. God sets the rules. And you can say, well, why didn't God just say, well, just why did he put that tree in the garden? He could have just left it out. Because you can't have a loving relationship without choice. My wife has to choose to love me in order for me to know that she really loves me. If she's just a robot who just says, I love you, Daniel Fusco, no matter what I do, that's not a loving relationship. So by God placing that in the garden, what he's doing is he's giving man a choice to choose him. He's giving us a choice. And we all have this choice. Now, so you get vocation, permission, and prohibition. And then in verse 18, look at what it says. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. 
And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Now, first time God says something isn't good. First time, right here in verse 18. If you like underlining things, that's a good thing to underline. First, what's the first thing that God says isn't good is that man is alone. Because God created us for relationship. Why? Because God is relational in the essence of his being. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit eternally in relationship. And God creating man in his image, we are wired for relationships. It's very normal. We crave them. We feel lost without them. We feel lonely without them. First time God says something isn't good, it's that man is alone. So what does God decide? God says, I will make a helper comparable to him. And there's a million different ways to translate this. All your translations, I'll make them a help meet for him. That's the King James. A helper suitable for him in the NIV or the NASB. A helper such as he needs, some say. A helper suited to his needs. So you get this reality that God is going to create a suitable companion for Adam. Now, it's interesting. Before God does that, we look at the sixth day that, again, that out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. It's fascinating. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air are created of the same raw materials as man is. The only difference is, is that God breathes his spirit into man, which is unique. This is why people who believe in evolution can think that we are animals, because in a sense, we're created by the same raw materials. The big difference is the breath of God within our lungs. That's the difference. So they're not nuts to think that we came from monkeys. They're just wrong. And I say that not in a pejorative way. I say that in an open-hearted way because we're created with the same raw materials. You know, like gorillas have lungs and so do we, and they have noses and so do we, and they have eyes and so do we, but there's a big difference. The reality of the breath of God within us. Now, it's interesting that you get, at the end of verse 19, It says, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. This is the beginning of science right there. Each animal was brought before Adam and he named them. That's the beginning of science right there. Adam getting, because of his place of dominion and authority, gets to name all the different animals. But it's interesting, once Adam is done with the process... Now, God realized it wasn't good that man was alone, and now Adam realizes it. Look what it says. It says right there. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Adam realized that although dogs might be man's best friend, they're not a suitable companion for a man. That's what he learned. After he named all of them, he realized it himself. So what happens? It says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs... And closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So now we get God taking a rib from Adam after he puts him into a deep sleep, and he takes that rib and he fashions a woman. Now, people freak out about this. They go nuts. Like, how can someone believe this? Well, we know that every piece of who you are has your DNA encoded in it. 
People say, well, God must love men more because he created man first. It's like, well, no. Obadiah was born before Maranatha, but I don't love Obadiah more. Just because someone was born first doesn't make them better, doesn't make them more important. We have to realize that. We need to be logical about these things. Now, why are all these details important? Because simply, all of this is a type of the church. Jesus, who is the last Adam, was caused a deep sleep, his death. Taken a rib near his heart. Think of the spear that speared Jesus. He fashioned it into a woman. The church is his bride. And then God brought Eve to Adam just the way God draws his people to their Savior. It's all a beautiful picture of God's purpose with people. That's a powerful thing. Now, it's important that we realize, because I know it's going to be hard not to talk about, and I'm sure some of you have questions about gender roles and gender issues, and they're important questions. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said this, and I think it's very powerful. He said this, she, speaking of Eve, was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. All you gals, you're like, that's what I want, right? You're like, yeah, I want to be his equal. I want to be from under my husband's arm where he protects me, near his heart where he loves me. Isn't that what everybody wants? Every man wants a woman who's his equal, a woman who he can protect, and a woman who he can love. This is what humanity wants. But the problem is they're trying to do it without Jesus. And so men are too insecure to see their wives as their equals. Oh, I'm stronger. Women are too insecure to let their husbands protect them. It's amazing. We used to live on a corner, and there was a bar down the block, and sure enough, at 3 o'clock in the morning, when the bar closed, all of a sudden, some crazy noise would go on outside. And every single night when that happened, Lynn would wake me up. There's something going on downstairs. Now, I didn't say, listen, sweetie, you better go down there. I mean, what kind of a man would do such a thing, right? You go, sweetie. I'm tired. It didn't matter what. I sprang out of bed, you know? I'm going down like someone, you know, mess with my family. And there was never anybody in the house or anything, but she was scared, and I went down to check it out. Why? Because I love my wife. And every time I came up, I felt like the hero, and she said, you're my hero. And we slept like babies. All was well in the world after that. I felt like the man I want to be, and she cherished me to protect her. That's a good day. I almost wanted to set those things up so they happen every night. Because <laughs> you, you feel like a million bucks after that. So don't think that this is some sort of, you know, God doesn't like women. That's why God made that at first. That's a bunch of baloney. It's exactly the way God wants it. Now, God brings Eve to Adam. I love that. God is the great yenta. He's the great matchmaker. He fashions Eve. He's like, I'm going to bring her right to Adam. Look at what Adam says in verse 23. Adam said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called, whoa, man, because she was taken out of man. I like that. He's like, look, we're of the same substance. We have an essential oneness. And she's called, whoa, man, because she was taken out of, and I, I really think that Adam, when he saw Eve in the garden, he was like, hello. I'm not trying to be crass. But the reality is, is God created men to be attracted to women and women to be attracted to men. Now, the problem is what we do with that outside of Jesus. That's where we get in trouble. Can you imagine if Adam, when he saw Eve, didn't think, woo, hello. They would have just hung out on different sides of the garden and none of us would be here. So listen, it's important that we realize attraction is not sin. It's just what we do with attraction in an unregenerate heart or in a regenerate heart that's not letting that attraction be under the authority of Jesus. God created us to be attracted. It's not a bad thing. It's not a problem. It becomes a problem. We take it out of the authority of Jesus. And then it leads to all sorts of messes. But I love this. Now, it's interesting. Woman and man, the words in the Hebrew, ish is man and isha is woman. Essential oneness, the same root. Look at this in verse 24. It's not just Adam's excited. Notice, therefore, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, what do you say? What's it there for? It's Bible interpretation 101. Because Adam realized that him and Eve have essential oneness, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This speaks of covenant between men and women. Not only are they of the same substance and they have an essential oneness, but God wants them to be in a monogamous relationship. A man will leave his father to mother and he will be joined in the King James. He will cleave to his wife and they will become one flesh. In God's mathematics, one plus one equals one. I love that about God. God, his color wheel the red blood of Jesus, when it meets the crimson, the red stain of sin equals white as snow. That's awesome that God is like that. He's got a lot of those. We'll see a lot of those as we go through the scripture. But notice, verse 25, and we're going to end right here, sets the stage, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Powerful. They were naked. They had no clothes on, but they weren't ashamed by it. The sin that is part of humanity brings shame to our lives. Our faith in Jesus makes us unashamed, returns us back to where God wants us and where God created us to be, that was lost, a place where we're no longer ashamed by who we are and what we do because God is purifying us from the shameful things to the glorious things. Think about the brain and creative ability to name all of the animals. And God was watching to see what Adam would name them. And then he noticed that all of the animals had a corresponding mate, but Adam did not. God said that this situation wasn't good. He took care of it in the best way possible. Pastor Daniel taught about the joy that Adam had upon his completion, hopefully. The couples listening feel the same way about their spouse. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. 
But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life, and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel shares his next teaching, A Garden Calamity. It's the story of how we got to where we are in the world today, one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. But it's important for us to know the truth about our history. Pastor Daniel will share that as well. And you'll learn the things God put into motion to eventually redeem mankind. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.